My dad taught us how to put up a tent. We would go vacationing. So when I, you know, when I go on vacation with my kids, I love to take them to the beach, but I actually grew up. We would go to the mountains or some park, uh, Forked Lake in New York, and we would camp. We would go fishing. My dad taught us how to fish, where to fish. He taught us how to put up a tent. We actually would have almost like a competition. It, it wasn't against one another, but it was how to best our time. We could actually put our eight-man tent up in less than eight minutes. As soon as we, my dad would, no lie, he would have a stopwatch. And we'd say, okay, guys, we're doing it under eight minutes. You ready? Go. And we would open the doors, and we would unload the tent and the poles and various things. And then one person would go off into the forest, because there's lots of pine trees and gather as many pine needles as possible. They would lay out the tent. They would mark, my dad would mark this, the tent, move the tent, and then start digging a trench all the way around it to catch the rain that flows off the tent, and then another that would drain away. And then he, after we, he had dug the trench, he would put down all of those pine needles really thick, kind of act as a cushion, and then put the tent on top, secure the tent pegs, put up the poles, and under less, you know, I think it took me longer to explain how we did it than it actually did for us to put it up. It's amazing. We, we got it down. It was like a science, but my dad taught us how to do this, and, and he would give us little pointers to do this and this just so that we could shave off another few seconds. That was my dad. <laughs> And he did, we would, he would taught us how to fish. He would, he would teach, he taught us how to dive off of cliffs 20 feet high into the river below that was freezing cold up in the mountains. My mom wasn't real excited about that one. But the truth is, my dad taught us a lot of different things. Your dad's probably taught you a lot of different things. My dad even taught us how to run away from bears. Okay, that part's not true. But the truth is, our dads have taught us so many things. My dad was a high school teacher. Twice a week, he would take his students during the spring semester to the University of Delaware. And since he was a 12th grade English teacher and they had to do a research paper, he would take them, show them how to do all of the research, note cards, whole nine yards. And my dad poured his life into those kids. My dad was actually also a cross-country teacher, a winter and a spring track coach. And... I would, he would actually take me to Rockford Park uh, many times when I was in junior high to be able to run with his guys. And it gave me an opportunity to spend time with my dad, but it gave me an opportunity to see how those kids admired my dad. They respected my dad because he poured time into them. Many of them probably didn't grow up with good dads. My dad was a man that was well-respected in our school. Several times he won Teacher of the Year. And my dad was respected because he was respectable. Do you know, if you were to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, gives qualifications for elders. And one of those qualifications is that he must be respectable. Some versions say respected, but you're respected because you're respectable. And so that is a character quality. So I want you to know, I, in my heart, I, I wanted someday to be able to preach the gospel. I wanted to be able to tell people about Jesus. And I knew if I were to do this, that I would need to become a respectable man. And so I began, once I gave my heart to Christ at age 14, something began to beat in my heart. How can I become a man that is respectable? How can I become a man that people would say, 
I appreciate what he does. How could I raise a family that would be able to say, wow, their dad is respectable? And what would that even look like? So I want to walk with you. I want us to walk through what it means to be a respectable or a respected dad. Now, I'm going to take a very unlikely course. As a matter of fact, where I go, you're probably not thinking about it, but I think you're going to be not just surprised, but I think God is going to speak a truth to your heart that's going to open your eyes as far as what it is like to be a respected man and how to get there. But we're going to start in a very unexpected place. So are you ready? I want you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 31. Yes, Proverbs 31. It's about the noble woman, the woman of noble character. That's where we're going to start. Actually, when you get there, Proverbs 31, I'm going to start with verse 20, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. Are you ready for this? Remember, this sermon is about men who are respectable. You ready? Here we go. She, the woman of noble character, verse 20, opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned. Is that what your Bible says? Did did I leave something out? Actually, I left out three verses. I'm going to throw one more in. It's actually at the very beginning because all four of these verses have to do with her husband. Well, let's look at that. First of all, right there in verse 11, her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. Verse 23, it says, her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. Skipping down to verse 28, the last portion, her husband also and he praises her. And the very last phrase in this chapter, and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. And I'm going to guess that it is her husband who does this. Now, I'm going to confess to you that many view these verses that I left out and now just read to you, this man who's respected at the city gate, their understanding of why this is included is because it is the wife that makes her husband respected. So that wherever he goes, people are talking about his wife. Can I be honest with you? That happens with me. Everywhere I go, it seems people are talking about my wife and what a woman of noble character is she. And I will join in and sing her praises. But I want us to imagine just a different perspective right now. It is true, perhaps, that, a, that behind every good man, there is a good woman. But I want you to know this morning that behind every good woman, there is a good man. He is a man who is worthy of respect. There's a few examples we'll look at that weren't, but he is a man of respect. But I'm going to suggest to you that he is not a man who is respected simply because of what his wife does. 
but rather it is something about him and then what he does. So let me just walk you through this real quickly here. Consider this as a different perspective. He is a respected man because he constantly thinks of others and their needs. And therefore, he regularly praises his praiseworthy wife. He praises his wife because of who he is. Number two, this praise, by the way, occurs in his two spheres of influence, the city gate where he's an elder and the home in which he is a husband and a father. He praises her. This then, number three, helps create an atmosphere in his home, in particular, that encourages and frees his wife to bloom, to blossom. Can I just be honest with you? In every single home, and my home is not an exception, the dad makes mistakes, he fails, he sins. Same with the wife, same with the kids. But what does he, this respected man, choose to focus on? He is, he has full confidence in his wife. Because she's she, the noble, the woman of noble character has blown it. The focus here is not that, it's where she has succeeded. But trust me, she has blown it. We have a lot of noble women, wives in this room right now, watching online. Truth be told, you've blown it, right? But what does the husband do? Does he begin to criticize? Is that what he said he does here? He begins to sing her praises. He chooses to focus on the, on the amazing qualities that he sees in his wife. Is she an outstanding woman? She is. But like anyone else, she has failed. But he manages to set the atmosphere in his home by what he says. At the city gate... And in his home, he praises her. And he makes a choice. I will sing her praises. I will be her greatest cheerleader. Men, do you want to be respectable? Watch the words of your mouth. The words of your mouth will either speak life or death. Choose to be a man that speaks life. In every situation, no matter how hard it is, in your family especially, since it is Father's Day, speak those words of life and impart life. And that woman that you are married to, she is going to blossom and bloom. I think one of the reasons why this woman has such godly character, at least in part, is because behind every good woman, there is a good man, and he is cheering her on, and he is speaking life. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Ephesians 4, 29. This is one of my favorite verses. It has helped me countless times because, see, I grew up in a home in which there wasn't a whole lot of praise. I grew up in a home in which there were criticisms. And us boys, you know, we tag teamed with that one. We criticized. We, we spoke words of death rather than life far too much. This verse 
Ephesians 4.29, it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. The literal translation there at the end is that they would give grace to those who listen. Can you imagine, dads, if every word out of your mouth when you were in your home, when you were in your place of business, whatever spheres of influence you have, if the only thing that came out of your mouth was positive, even if you had to bring correction, there was hope in that correction. They were saying, but you know what? Even though you're corrected, I love you and you are such an amazing son or such an amazing daughter, or even correcting the woman of noble character, I'm sure there was always, sweetheart, I'm only saying this, I wanna build you up. And he would then begin to praise her. Any kind of correction, constant praise after, before and after. I believe that this is what the respected man does. I believe this is what elders are to do. I believe, dads, do you wanna be a respected man? This is what we should do. Everything that comes out of our mouths brings life. It actually brings grace. But you see, that's not your grace. Where do you think that grace came from? It's right there in the text. You, you speak words of life. You speak words that it would help those according to their needs, that it would give grace to those who listen. That is God's grace. You now need to see yourself as a dispenser of God's grace. God is pouring his grace through you. Now, this is intimidating to think that you are actually a dispenser of God's grace. That God wants to pour grace to your children and grace to your wife through you because you are a respectable man, because you speak wholesome words in your home to the people around you and you speak life to them. You impart grace from God to them. Is that not intimidating? And we can step back and, and, and in this intimidation just wonder, I don't do that. In fact, I don't do that nearly enough. Let me be the first to raise my hand. Yes. Yes, I don't speak those words of life nearly enough. So what do we do? Should, right now, should the sermon then go to the book of Proverbs, I could give you five ways to correct that. Five ways to help you guys. How to be better dads. I could do that. that, that there wouldn't be a problem there. Except... Earlier this week, God said, Mike, I want you to find out. I want you to get to the root of this. I want you to find out the truth behind the truth. Okay, so the truth, you want to become respectable? Yes. Then let your words be filled with life. But what's the truth behind that truth? Do you see what I'm saying here? What is the truth? How are you going to not be so intimidated because you are a dispenser of God's grace and that your words come out of your mouth, that they breathe life and hope and encouragement so that your wife, so your children blossom and bloom? How do you do this? What's the truth behind that truth? If you were to look, you're in Ephesians 4. If you were to look a few steps back, a few verses back, look right there. In verse 22 to 24, you were taught, Paul says, this is his truth behind the truth we find in 29, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. It literally is translated old man, not, not your dad, okay? No, put off your old self, the old 
who you were before you came to Christ. Put that person off. That lifestyle, the way you spoke negatively, the, that old you, put that person like a garment. Put that person or take that old man, that old self off, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self, the new man, the new lifestyle created in Christ Jesus, the new creation. Put on the new self, the new man created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So what is he saying here? This truth behind the truth is that if we deny self, if we surrender to the Lord God, then he is, by his spirit, is going to work through us so that we, do our, we are communicators of that grace to one another. Do you have that truth? So we have to deny self, take up our cross and follow Jesus. We have to put off the old man regularly and put on the new. Okay. We could end right there. But you see, that's not where Paul began. Because really what we're looking at is we're getting back to the truth. The truth behind the truth behind the truth behind the truth. I had to think through that as I was walking through this message. There's the truth behind the truth behind the truth. It goes back to the fourth one, and we're at number three. Do you know the truth behind this truth is? The truth behind putting off the old man and putting on the new and the struggle that we have, the battle that takes place within our soul for that to happen, there is a truth behind that truth. And here's where we're going to find it. Look at the two verses before. Are you there? Two verses before, starting with verse 20. The truth behind the truth behind the truth behind this is the truth. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way, meaning the way the Gentiles are. The, the way that in the futility of their thinking, in the, their, their lack of understanding of who God is, they rejected him, their hearts were hardened, and as a result, there was no life in them. Without life, you cannot be an imparter of grace. The grace has to be imparted to you, change you, and then that grace flows through you. And so you didn't come to know Christ that way. That's not what Christ is to you, lost in the futility of your thinking, separated from the life of God. No. Then he goes on, listen to this. Listen to this, church. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. The truth that is in Jesus. This may not be a light bulb moment for you right now because we need to take one more step. What is this truth? about Jesus. So turn to chapter one with me. Chapter one. This truth about Jesus in verse three begins by, by Paul telling the Ephesians, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And it is this truth 
revealed about Jesus in chapter three called the mystery of Christ. Now he's beginning to extrapolate. Now he's beginning to unfold it. And I want to just spend a few minutes and do this. And if you can, men, if we can get this truth in our hearts, not only does it change us and we are born again, but it is a truth that when we focus on it constantly, so fills our mind, we become men of grace, dispensers of grace. Grace gets a hold of us. It is something we constantly think about and refer to and live out. It is this truth that is in Jesus. And if you don't get this, you will become that little hamster on the treadmill trying so hard to become a man of respect. You can pick up any book that's out there about how to be a really great dad. Many of them, are they even have them in the secular world, and they distill these kind of truths down to a, a little book. And if you just do this, this, and you're going to be a respected man. In the book of Proverbs, there are some of these, many of them. But I'm getting to the truth behind the truth. And that truth is found in Jesus. Now follow me. Here is what God has done. Before the world was created, he chose you in him. You know what? This is a truth. Just to, 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 to be totally blunt with you, this is a truth, but it is shrouded in mystery. Just the very fact that what God did occurred even before he created time. Before he created time, the God who is not bound by this thing he created called time, it says that he did something unbound by time, reaching into time, and chose you. It wasn't because he saw something so phenomenal about you. It was simply this, that he chose, according to his good pleasure, to cast his love upon you, to lavish you with grace, for you to become a recipient of his grace. He chose you. But this is a God who is outside of time doing something in time, me, Mike Curtis, in time. And Paul uses the word predestination or predestined, a time-bound word to describe an act of God that's outside of time. That's can you begin to understand the complexity of this? It'd be like you trying to describe to a blind person the color red. They've never experienced red. I don't know what it's like to live outside of time. And Paul, on our level, says, you're not going to understand all of this, but here's the amount of truth that I'm going to give you. Before the world was created, before time began, God chose you. You weren't that scrawny little kid on the playground who was chosen last for kickball. That is not you. God, just out of his grace, said, I want you on my team. I want you playing for me. I want you to experience this relationship with me because I am choosing to love you. I want, I want you to become this amazing display of my grace. And so here's, here's what we find. Three times in the first several verses, we see this refrain for the praise of his glorious grace, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. Three times, to the praise of his glory. All of this is to the praise of his glory. All of this is to reveal to us this picture of God's grace, this act of God's grace that in the Old Testament, it, it wasn't completely clear. 
questions galore. Even the prophets, like Isaiah in 53, he didn't understand that. The prophet did not understand Isaiah 53. Things, Peter tells us, things were kept hidden from them. They spoke of things they did not completely understand. But they spoke with a prophetic voice, shrouded in mystery. This gospel, this person of Jesus, that when one day he would be revealed to rescue, redeem the world and all of his chosen, this is the God who stepped into my time to rescue me. The outside God of time now became the inside God of time to rescue me, to rescue you. The Father chose, the Son secured you for his salvation, for his joy, for his a relationship with him. This is God's grace. Now, when this understanding of God's grace, and it says here in, where is it, verse, give me just a moment, right, right there in verse 8. Referring to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. It wasn't fickle. It was wise, full of understanding. That word lavish means to pour, to pour out lavishly, means to pour out into a vessel so full it overflows. That vessel is a picture of you in which God poured out his grace so full in such abundance, it has overflowed in your life. And it is that overflow that this respected man then speaks. He is able to become that dispenser of God's grace from the overflow of that deposit of grace. See, that... It's you, dads, that is you. So Jesus, before time began, and, and this is just so mind-boggling. I, I, I want to give you this, this picture. I, I like playing chess. I, I'm not the best at it. I do like it. I like the concept of strategy. It's kind of hard for me to think like six to eight moves ahead. I, that's beyond me, but I like that. But in this illustration of chess, since God created the world, he is moving, he is moving, so to speak, chess pieces around, and his entire goal is to put the enemy in checkmate and for him to rise up and to win this game, if you will, and to bring as many people with him as possible to capture as many as he can. And God, throughout history, has been moving these chess pieces. And it says, when Jesus died on the cross, it was according to his set purpose and foreknowledge. His set purpose and foreknowledge. God was behind the scenes, orchestrating, even working through the wicked decision of the Sanhedrin and Judas Iscariot himself, working all of these things together according to his set purpose and his foreknowledge. And so at the very end, the enemy is checkmated and he has been ambushed. He thought that he had defeated the enemy and he ended up be being defeated. 
But of course, the game continues on because God wants to claim every piece as he can from the other side to be his own. This is the heart of the Father. The, the Father rescued you. This good, good Father sent his Son to rescue you and now for you every day of your life to walk out this drama of grace. Every struggle that you face is now an opportunity for God to highlight his grace on the canvas of your life. Here is the irony of all of this. Do you want to become a respected man? Then that can't be your goal. It can't be your goal. Your goal is to highlight the grace of God in your life. Regardless of how people think respectable you are, your goal is to be so filled with his grace, so focused and consumed by this grace of God in your life, that your life becomes a canvas of his grace. Let me give you an illustration. You're going through a hard time. That hard time in this illustration is crossing a river. As you cross this river, it's about 50 feet wide. You don't know how deep it is. As you look, you're looking for stepping stones, and you cannot find any stepping stones. Okay, God, you're praying. I, I need these stepping stones. If I don't get stepping stones, I'm going to drown. I'm going to drown. I don't see any stepping stones, and it's up to your neck, and now it's up to your chin, and you're just wondering, okay, I'm going under any minute. This is such a hard, stepping out of the illustration, this is such a hard situation. I, I don't know if I can make it. Stepping back into the illustration, it's getting higher. You're wondering if you're going to just suck water and drown. That is, and, and the fears are beginning to, you want to just turn back, but you realize I've got to keep going. God, where are you? Where's the stepping stones? And by the time you're asking that question, the water starts receding further and further, and you reach the other side. Whew. Wow, you say, I'm so glad I didn't turn back. That was a really close one. Thank you, God, that the river was only, what, five, five and a half feet deep. When you reach the other side, a fisherman asks you, hands on hips, how did you do that? That's easy. I just kind of put my head up like this. I prayed the whole way. I kept moving forward, and before you know it, I was on the other side. So uh, I was expecting stepping stones, and to be honest with you, I was pretty upset with God that he didn't provide any stepping stones. To step out of the analogy, this fisherman you will either encounter in your life or many times in heaven itself. And then he says this, I don't get it. I've been fishing all of these years. That river's 12 feet deep. And you say, 12 feet deep? What are you talking about? It was only five, five and a half. No, I fished up and down. You just walked through 12 feet of water. <laughs> you now realize, oh God, that was surely your grace that I did not drown. You will walk through the fire and not be burned. You will walk through the raging river and it will not sweep you away. This drama, this unfolding of God's grace then becomes this goal of our life. And you are going to encounter opportunities to display this grace of God in your life every single day 
Can I just encourage you, men of God, pursuing, running after his grace, don't be upset with God if he doesn't give you the stepping stones. Keep walking. Keep walking. Forget about how deep the water is. Forget about how swift it's flowing. Keep walking because you've chosen to be a man of God's grace. Every step, a step of faith. God, I can't do this. Where are the stepping stones? I don't understand. And he will take you to the other side. Believe. Trust in him. Let him paint that masterpiece of grace, his grace on your life. Every single day. In this process of getting lost in his grace, God will do something amazing in your life. You will begin to speak of his grace out of the overflow in your heart. You will begin to speak praises to your wife. You will begin to speak praises to your children. No matter how hard it gets in your home, no matter how deep in the river you feel you are, God will pour out his grace and you in this process of becoming a canvas to display his amazing grace. You will begin by this grace flowing through you to speak words of life and not death. And he, step by step, will transform you into that man worthy of respect. Men, join me in this quest of God's grace to walk in it, not just when you got saved, but every day of your life. And it's going to be scary. It's going to get discouraging at times. You're going to feel like turning around and going back, but I'm going to challenge you, don't do it. Keep moving forward. You'll walk through the fire and not be burned. You'll walk through the raging river and not be swept away because that is God's grace. You know, I'll be honest with you. There have been some extremely difficult challenges in my life. Walking through them, just wondering, God, where are you? And then realizing that his grace was undergirding me the whole time. This past week, as I was just thinking through these truths from Proverbs 31 and what it means to be a man of respect, God just began to take my heart again back to the simplicity of this grace. Mike, he chose you. He's going to see you through it. He has a purpose. And it's not always to provide those stepping stones, but it is simply this to be a display of his grace to the praise of his glory. So my question is, men of God, in this quest to become respected men, can you just take that off the shelf for a moment? And instead of just being a man of respect, be a man of grace, filled with his grace, overflowing with his grace to dispense that grace. As you are consumed constantly 
by who he is and what he has done for you. Having believed you were marked in with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance in the saints. All of those blessings from verse 3 poured out to you that you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And God could have left you there. He could have literally and, and justly poured out his wrath upon you. And that is where you could have lived for the rest of your life into eternity. But he rescued you and he raised you up in Christ Jesus and seated you with his son at the, in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Because he chose you, he called you, and he said, I want you to be a vessel of my grace. Let that be the goal that consumes you. Amen. His grace. Father, I just ask that this morning as, as we're wrestling with this idea of what it means to be a dad and, and, and respected and, and set the tone in our home with positive words and encouraging words, words of grace, that, Father, that we as men of God would become consumed with this truth that is in Jesus, that we would become men of grace. Please, God, use that grace. Transform my life for the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.